If you're familiar with mysteries, you know that there's red herrings. So you know that there's going to be paths that you're walking down that are misdirects. But also at the same time, anybody could be possible. Really, anybody is a suspect. Well, in a good mystery, and you know, I think I feel like this is mystery fans will be mad if you didn't play fair. They want you to play fair. So what they want is they want the evidence to be there. They just want it to be amongst a bunch of other evidence to where it's hard to actually discern it. And that way they can kind of play the game like we just did. Like I think mystery readers want to kind of play along and they want to try and guess. Friends, episode 272 of the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we're talking about the first half of Leanne Moriarty's 2014 novel, Big Little Lies. So, James, this is a show you've seen, so you know all the spoilers. Whereas uh, this is something I have not seen, I have not read. So uh, I'm still wondering about a lot of these mysteries. We're, we're halfway through. Um, so James knows some stuff. I don't. He's not going to spoil it. We'll go up to the first half. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully it's fun to hear, a specula- hear me speculate, I should say, since, uh, I, yeah, James won't be doing that. And then, you know, uh, the way our coverage is going to progress is next week we'll, we'll tackle the first half of the show. And then that way, so that way I still will have some mysteries going into the back half of the show. And then our final episode we'll do on this, we'll cover the rest of the show and the rest of the book simultaneously. I have seen the show, but haven't read the book. So it's cool to see the source material here and kind of get a much more Australian version of the story than I necessarily remember from the show. I was wondering if it was set in Australia. Um, It may be. I honestly don't remember that, that fact. Yeah. Or if this was like, you know, American production. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll be curious to see that. I, I Reese Witherspoon and um, who, who Nicole else? Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern, Shailene Woodley. Yep. I think they're all Americans. Am I wrong? No. no? Nicole Kidman might not be. Nicole Kidman is, is Australian, yeah. She's Australian? Okay. Yeah. We also have Zoe Kravitz in the role of Bonnie. Um, so just a star-studded cast all around. All right. Well, don't tell me who each of our th- those three play because I want to try mm-hmm. and guess. At some point yeah. here. Maybe we'll save that for a little bit because I think we're, we're too early on to get sure. into that just yet. But I like tackling a story like this because it is a perspective that I don't often think of and uh, it's not one that I share. But it's one that when you get into a story like this, you empathize so much with it and you you feel all the tension and you feel all the anxieties and all the frustrations and all the other things that, that go into a story like this. You know, it's, it's very real in that way. Totally. Um, so I just have always loved storytelling for that fact is that I get to live some small version of a of a woman with children in the school systems and drama. Yeah, little kid going into kindergarten for the first time, um, which is what it is in the book, at least. And yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's a, it's like a peek into that life, right? Like you you get to live in their shoes for a little bit and imagine what it would be like um, to be there. The husbands are around and they do some stuff, um, but it definitely is more centered on the women, right? Um, clearly, and and that aligns with what I was reading about this book in the sense that it is considered chiclet, which is, I don't know if that's the official term, but I was seeing that term tossed around a lot, which is interesting because like on one hand, it's a marketing term, right? And I think there's a lot of women who are wanting to read chiclet, right? And so they're look for that. They're, they're looking for books that are marketed in that way. Um, But it's also kind of limiting in a way, right? Like you're, you're like, I'm enjoying this book. So why is it not being marketed to me? Um, I don't know. It's it's um I think it's funny. It has this like lightness to it, zany character, especially with like Madeline. Um, you know, she's she's just funny over and over again. Um, there's just a lot of like light stuff that I'm really getting into. And then I was surprised at how uh, Leanne uh, Moriarty is able to like blend in some true darkness into the story that I kind of didn't expect. And I was like, whoa, this is getting almost like Gillian Flynn, like Stephen King, like dark, dark. And then, of course, like I look on the on the cover and we have a quote from Stephen King that says a hell of a good book, funny and scary. So I agree with Stephen King. Um, It's it's got this equal measures, funny and scary. And, you know, it's not like terrifying or anything. But when I say scary, I mean, it's got like 
darkness. It's got some of the like um, more upsetting parts of life and upsetting things that can happen in books. Like we, you know, we're getting into it. We have like a rape sequence that is talked about. We have, you know, just a lot of like dark shit that gets discussed. Um, abuse is, is definitely like at the at the heart of this. It's about a murder. And at first, I thought, oh, okay, this is going to have more in common with like a cozy like an Agatha Christie style murder, like a murder mystery at a kindergarten. How fun. I thought we were going to get into that Agatha Christie territory of like whodunit kind of thing. And it was going to be kind of light. But then I quickly realized, no, 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 we're getting, it's very serious at the same time that it's dealing with this murder. Um, And it's actually quite dark. I think the way that she expertly navigates this is by having some of these interviews interspersed through the chapters and the ways that they're kind of poking fun at how ridiculous their lives can be at times. Yes, but also but also it's like introducing a bunch of side characters and you, and like you don't realize it but cuz like over time you start to get them introduced in the main narrative and then you kind of are connecting it and they're speaking from the future. So you're also getting little breadcrumbs. There's the drama too. They're they're giving you tidbits about like uh, like clues, but it's also a bit wrapped up in like dr- drama. Like they wouldn't let my child do that, and you know the teacher is secretly doing this, and that person behind closed doors does that, and a lot of that like gossip. Oh man, yeah. And then you know you got people with clear agendas, and you got like the one guy in there who's like PC culture these days, and like you know it's, right. it almost felt like a message board. But then I guess it's supposed to be interviews. At first, I thought we were getting like a like a discord or like a um like, like a, a like next door kind next of thing. door yeah like <laughs> like a little group chat but then i realized that the it must be an interview because we have the officer like telling people and then a couple times they refer to like each other as if they can see each other so i'm like all right i think this might be might be actually an in-person interview that they're doing and that, like you said that threads in some fun humor i like the way that the book sets out to say like look at all these like for the most part well-off people who are you know look how frivolous their lives can be and as time goes on you start to understand that you don't know what goes on behind closed doors in people's lives and how those little frivolous things have reasons for there's reasons why people are reacting certain ways and at least our three main leads are all also pretty self-aware and i like that element in all of them madeline knows that her life is kind of silly in some ways and and but then like i think the way that bonnie is the like foil for her makes it really interesting because she feels so like like plain and like cliche to her or something like lowbrow <laughs> bonnie's madeline's like husband's new wife new wife who's like new age and like perfect and younger and like all this stuff and she she's like rubbing off an abigail which is uh you know their daughter and um yeah i, I just look that element is really interesting to me within her and like honestly all three of our our leads have like really interesting backstories they all have little mysteries and that was the thing that i i was um recognizing that I think works really well here and works really well in a lot of mystery novels that we've covered on the show. And it's, it's not a genre that I've read a ton of, but man, I, I enjoy reading them. And I'm like realizing that when it's done right, and this is the kind of mystery I like where like there is that edge of darkness. Cause like as much as I can enjoy an Agatha Christie, like it always feels a little toothless to me. It's a and romp. It's yeah. And whereas this feels more real. Um, and, but what I like is that, that there's all these little mysteries along the way. It's not all about one mystery. It's like, and, and Agatha Christie, of course, does this well. Uh, you know, this is not exclusive to this kind of writing. Every character has a mystery. Every, there's the Ziggy mystery of like, what's going on with Ziggy and this other child. There's all these little mysteries unfolding, even as we know there's this outstanding larger mystery of somebody gets murdered. We don't even know who it is, which is an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets murdered. We don't know who it is and we don't know who did it. So there's two mysteries there that we'll have to get filled in as we go. Um, so there's a lot that that like makes this really like I saw like somebody called this compulsively read- readable. And I totally agree. Like once I started getting really into it, I was like, man, I just want to keep reading this book. And in fact, when we got to the halfway point, I was kind of bummed. I was like, oh, man, I want to keep going. I'm really curious about what's happening now. So, yeah, I'm having a good time with this one. Me too. It's good to revisit because I, you know, even though I've seen the show, I watched it when it originally aired. So it's been many years now. Honestly, it was coming out when we around the time that we first started the podcast, I believe, like 2017, 2018. One of my favorite shows when it was on the air. And so getting to revisit. I remember everybody talking about it. I kept saying, I'm not going to watch it because we might cover it. And so I'm glad we finally did because it ended up just being kind of one I missed. And then I was like, I didn't know if we actually were going to end up covering it. Um, So this, oh, by the way, that's a perfect opportunity to say this was a community voted project um, for our second community 
uh, quarterly poll of the of the year, and we decided to open it up to TV. And this was what was selected. And I just got to say, like, great selection. Thank you all and everybody who participated, our patrons for voting. Um, yeah, this is really cool. And this is the kind of stuff we get from these community um, projects. It's like stuff that we wouldn't necessarily have chosen. Our last one we did was uh, Twilight, right? And mm-hmm. that was a really fun project, too. That's not something I would have chosen on my own, but I had a great time with. So, yeah, if you wanted to, to participate in that, check out our Patreon. It's a great way of forcing us into a project yeah. in a good way, you know, because ultimately, like, those are things that were on our radars, both Twilight and Big Little Lies. And I would hope that we were going to get to Big Little Lies at some point. Twilight may be more of a more of a dark horse, but yeah. we've done both of them now. It's and I possible, think it's cool yeah. because our, our audience sees sort of what we tend to cover and then they can say, oh, well, they don't they typically don't cover this kind of thing. So check this out as well. Um, so I appreciate it. Yeah, if they want or however they want to, you know, go about voting, you know, maybe they just think like, yeah, they're probably going to get to this one day, but I want them to do it now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was talking about the three characters and how they're all self-aware. And it just reminded me, I wanted to touch on Celeste a little bit. Um, Celeste is like the rich one who's got the abusive husband. And I like how self-aware she is about her wealth and like the weird status that that gives her. She has to catch herself sometimes, though. Every once in a while, she'll she'll say something that she realizes like, oh, I just came off as now she is self-aware about it because she she's introspective. That's what I'm saying. Like she realizes she's like, oh, shit. Now I realize that I'm saying this. I'm, I can tell that like she, there was a line where she's like every room in our house is designed to tell you that we're wealthier than you are yeah <laughs> or something like that it was like this well thing. and her husband every time they go to a charity auction they give the money they give an insane like you know tens of thousands of dollars and it's not even about the, the charity of it it's about the status and that kind of thing so she's not the type of self-aware character that like doesn't make these kinds of comments because she's that self-aware but she's self-aware enough to to sort of be introspective and say like oh you know i'm coming from a place of privilege like she still is that person and she is privileged and she knows that but then yeah she also is like aware of that and she which makes me like her when i would think otherwise i would probably not like her as much it makes me like that she realizes like oh i can't just like offer to pay someone's bill like that would be insulting like that kind of stuff like she's self-aware enough to know that um and, and then, like, it's interesting, of course, to see the darkness to her life and how she says, like, like you can tell she feels guilty about it because she's like, everything about my life is what everybody wants. And so, like, how dare I be upset about, you know, this abuse that's going on? But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I'll, I'll When we get into the plot, we can talk about that. But um, and then we have Jane and we have like uh, she is like the single mom who is dealing with a lot. She's maybe the least self-aware, actually, of the three, but she's very interesting, and she's... I think she's also just young, though. I think she maybe doesn't have the experience to back up, like, being self-aware. That's true. And then she also, like, um, she's kind of the audience insert in a way because she's the new one to this world. So we identify with her a lot as we're, like, learning about what this the situation's like at the school and what these people are like. Um, and she's being guided by Madeline, who's kind of a mentor-like figure. Um, and, um, yeah, she's this single mom, but she has a lot of mysteries surrounding, swirling around her. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I immediately was taken with these three. And I think like when I, when I was reading this, I, I could tell why this is popular. I could tell why this took off, why it made for a good show. It's good stuff. It's the type of story where I feel like some people feel very seen in a way that they don't maybe some of the time you're getting a pretty large swath of different people in different economic groups and the way and the struggles and the things that they that they're going through in in a way that like some people can see themselves so for example you see like madeline is it is has gone through a divorce she has a, a, a child from a previous marriage she looks to somebody like celeste and says like oh she does have it all she's beautiful she's got money all this stuff and i think people can relate to that or there are also people out there that maybe are well off and and uh, are seen that way, seen well off and, and maybe beautiful. They're good looking people and they don't feel seen because often they don't like the, the stuff behind closed doors for them also isn't being addressed. So I think this is that kind of story, especially for women that is having this conversation and it's unflinching, right? Like there's both sexual and physical violence. It's kind of giving you that realistic look. Um, and I think people relate to that in, in ways. I think you're touching on there's like a. I would say this is like mostly middle class and upper middle class. Well, up to rich, I guess, for Celeste. She's truly wealthy. But most of the people in this group are in that like that area. Like, I don't think we have a lot of like poorer people in this group. I would say Jane is maybe the the least well off, but she's young and a single parent. 
And but I also would note too, we don't get a ton. Uh, clearly, it's it's addressed in the book how it's mostly white people as well. It's just like pretty well off white people, right? And so I do think this is a area of society where most of the time when you read about them, you read about them in a way that is making fun of them, and because they have all this privilege, right? And 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 I think that's totally fair. And what I like about this book is that Leanne does make fun of them and there are characters who are totally laughable like bonnie can be the other the, the mother who keeps us uh, like uh, uh, accusing ziggy is like pretty reprehensible um so there's a lot of that and they're just showing the sides to people like they're they're maybe there's something ridiculous that this character does that is seen as funny because they're not aware or whatever but they also have other things going on in their lives that are more serious so it's like this layered look at uh, you can you can also you can laugh at somebody for their privilege and then also know there's other things going on. And when I say laugh, I just mean like it's it's uh, especially for the people who aren't very aware of it that are walking around thinking that everyone lives this way. Um, th- just the way that they can say things that cut de- cut deep for people that don't have that kind of privilege and the ways that they they can simultaneously be funny and then also kind of tragic. Well, that's exactly what I was going to get to is that it does show the other side of that. It shows them as well-rounded characters with problems. Um, and it treats those problems seriously, you know, motherhood and like all these things that are like very legit concerns that I think are fairly universal. Um, and so you create a, a story that is open to a lot of people, but I think is, is going to be particularly appealing to suburban wives. Um, I think are going to eat this up and I guess that's why it's marketed in this way. Um, and I could see why. Um, but yeah, and then I hopefully that like a show that is going to reach a broader audience like this. I think this book deserves that, too. So I, th- I hope that that's been the case of it. And it seems like that is the case, because from what I've read, this is a, you know, a big time book. There was something true crime related that was talked about in the story. And between that and maybe some of the ways that they approach the storytelling, it's it's catered towards. Oh, I know what it was, is there's the, the thing about Jane reading a book in the book club and how like she, it's, she had gotten out of the habit of reading. And I just thought about how this book appealed in the same kind of way to someone like Jane, who maybe is out of practice with reading yeah, and well, is coming yeah. to wink, wink. Yeah. Oh, I haven't read a book in a long time. And like, maybe you, the reader are the same person doing this. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah totally. So I thought that was a pretty clever way of, clever. of navigating that. And I think that that's the target demo. I think that, well, part of it, I think that word of mouth and, and just goodwill and well-written story, sent this book really to the moon. Yeah, and I think you're right on with the true crime stuff, though, too, because, like, a lot of suburban, you know, wives love true crime. And so I think, like, making a murder mystery set in this world is going to be appealing. And they touch on um, that, I do think, in there. There was a story about, um, I think it was Madeline, maybe, or maybe it was Jane, had, like, left a, a newspaper out that had a story about a kid getting abducted from, like, from their window, which I actually think is a story I've heard about because I do also follow some true crime stuff and how like their kids saw it. And then she was like trying to say, Oh, it was all made up. Um, I think it was Madeline actually. Yeah. Because then she was like comparing to how like Bonnie would probably like talk to her about it or something. Uh, there's also the the thing with Abigail reading about like um, human trafficking and sexual assault and child trafficking and stuff like that. And like, she has some plan of like something she's going to do and we don't like, as far as we are in the book, I don't know what it is. So I'm curious to see what her plans end up being. She even says something like, oh, I wish I could, I wish I would have said something different. So it seems like it's going to be important. Um, which like, I'm not going to try and read your face too much. But like, <laughs> um, Just know that I'm walking you down every dark alley of confusion. I'm not going to give you any hints here. Okay, good. Um, all right. So, I mean, th- I think it's safe to say we're both having a good time with it. Um, do we want to get into Leanne Moriarty as an author? Yeah, I'd like to hear what else she's done. Okay, so she was born in 1966. She's an Australian author. She's written nine novels, uh, including Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers, which are both adapted into television series for HBO and Hulu. So have you heard about Nine Perfect Strangers? I think I have, but it's not something that was on my radar to watch. I think it's 2021 Hulu thing. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but um, it does sound familiar. So maybe I've seen a trailer somewhere. Anyway, um, Leanne's website actually gave me some interesting uh, insight into her as, as, a, as a young author. She says that she can't remember the first story she ever wrote, but she does re- remember her first publishing deal. Her father commissioned her to write a novel for him and offered an advance of $1. 
She had no agent at the time, <laughs> so she accepted her first <laughs> offer and wrote a, vo- a three-volume epic called The Mystery of Dead Man's Island. Um, so I thought that was pretty fun. You know, her she got commissioned to write a novel. Um, and so she actually went on and, like, got into marketing and business and, um, you know, like, she was a little bit more career-focused. But then her sister ended up publishing a book. Um, her sister is Jacqueline Moriarty, who apparently is also fairly well-known as a, as a YA author if I remember correctly from what I read. Um, so she had her book come out and then Leanne got kind of jealous and was like, shit, I better get on it. She'd always wanted to be an author. So okay. that made her write this uh, children's book that she said um, got turned down by every publisher in Australia. So she then went on to get a master's degree um, in writing. And as part of that degree, she actually wrote her first novel, Three Wishes, um, which is interesting because like, I actually wrote a novel for my master's degree, too. So it's cool to hear someone who's done that had like the success with it. And so she wrote this book, Three Wishes, which went on to be published around the world. And then she just kind of added to it, just kept releasing novels. Um, and they kind of grew and grew in popularity. And then her fifth novel in 2013 was called The Husband's Secret. And it was released in the U.S. And within two weeks, climbed the charts to be a number one New York Times bestseller, which is always a huge uh, accomplishment whenever an author hits that. Um, and then it it remained on the bestseller list for over a year. And then her next novel was Big Little Lies. It debuted at number one, which made her the first Australian author to debut at the top spot in the U.S. Wow. So that wasn't her that wasn't considered her debut novel, though, or no, no, no. Um, it debuted like so when the novel came out, it was already number one, like the first week. I see. It didn't climb the charts. It came out at number one. That's wild. Which means it had a huge release. So that's, I think that's partly, whenever you see that, it's a little bit of lagging popularity. So like her previous book was so popular that everybody's really excited for Big Little Lies and then Big, Big Little Lies come out and everybody buys it. So, and then it seems like it delivered. So that's always your best case scenario, right? Where, you, where that book then is really good too, it seems yeah. like. Um, so yeah, she's just gone on to be super popular. I think she has a third sister who's also an author. She's one of six. Um, and they might all be sisters. I'm not sure if there's any boys in there or not. Um, but, uh, three are authors and three aren't. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. Um, she's the eldest by the way, of all of them. I like to see the idea of like three, three sisters, possibly more sort of being not competitive, but keeping each other motivated in terms of like pursuing their art and stuff like that. I think that's really fun. Yeah. Uh, her other sister, who's an author, I believe is, uh, Nicola Moriarty. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're killing it. This family. Um, so one other thing I saw about that specifically for this book, she said her main inspiration came when she heard a radio interview in which a woman recounted her parents' abusive relationship. The woman narrated how, even as an adult, she hid under her bed to escape her parents' fighting, an experience Moriarty ended up using in a scene in the book, which we haven't got to yet, so a little bit of a spoiler. Um, initially, the book was... Oh, this is also an interesting note. Initially, the book was a first-person narrative um, from each of the three main characters, but she soon decided against it and instead interjected the minor character statements between portions of the story. So if you can imagine a version of the story where it's actually first person, I, I yeah, that's wild from all three different point of views. That can be I can confusing. See how that w- yeah. could have been kind of confusing. I mean, you could like you could telegraph it. You could like put the name of the character at the start or something so that you could follow it. But I do think it would be kind of confusing and disorienting. So I think ultimately this is probably the better version of the story. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things I could see why someone might be uh, drawn to that. And I know that it has been done. So I can see why you might be drawn to that idea. Brings you really close to the events. I am really and curious. And it does feel on... very close. I, I feel like she's got that narrative distance down, like reduced down to as short as it can be, which is I like. Right. And I'm really curious hearing that she was opting possibly for first person and also just the the, the story itself. I'm how much of this is she pulling from her life or, you know, some version of her life or experiences? Because I feel like there's there's an inevitability that you might add some of yourself into the story. But yeah, just I curious, mean, like how I, much. I, I didn't see anything about that. I didn't see anything about her talking about this being like her exercising demons in any way. Um, it seems like she heard about this, like somebody talking about it on a radio interview. Um, but that may be that may be true. She just hasn't revealed anything like that. 
And I'm not even talking about some of the darker elements. I'm just curious about like, you know, having a child in kindergarten and oh, sort yeah. of the, the, you know, the families and having to navigate that. She does have two children, I think I read. So yeah, it's, yeah. that's very possible that, I mean, I think likely <laughs> that she's drawing from personal experience for the, for the, this world and this kind of stuff, right? Right, yeah. I wonder if she's popular at the PTA meetings when once this came out. <laughs> you know, the other parents were like, this is how you feel about us, huh? It's always the, the funny thing that, you know, obviously that's not the case and she's, you know, embellishing for for a novel and using her imagination. But it's funny when people think like, oh, the author, you know, people people were probably feeling like they were inserted into the novel in some cases. It is funny to, to think about someone like her just like going to a PTA meeting, but I know it happens. Sure. Right. Or like you could have your, your high school math teacher could be Paul Tremblay or, you know, because I know he still teaches high school math. And like, it's just wild to think about authors out there doing stuff like that, because to me, because to me, they're they're like stars. Right. But I know that in the world of like famous people, authors are pretty low on the totem pole as far as stars go. But even so, if you're a reader and like, you know, if somebody like that walks in and you're like just doing your job as a teacher or something and you're like just starstruck by the, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can't give preferential treatment to your child. But holy shit, I'm such a big yeah. fan. Can you imagine if you were going to a high school and you heard that like one of the math teachers is like a best selling horror author? <laughs> I mean, I would read every, all of it. Right. I'd read everything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you'd also like, I I wonder if he's got like a waiting list to get into his class or something like exactly, everybody, yeah. but, but must be wanting to get in there. But then like, I don't know, or maybe like none of his kids know or like barely any of them know. I don't know. Um, anyway, are you ready to jump into the first part of summary I have here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So Jane, a single mother, is on her way to Pirawi Public School in Sydney's northern beaches, where her son Ziggy is starting kindergarten. On the way, she meets Madeline, another mother with a daughter of the same age. Madeline's friend Celeste is also sending her twin sons, Max and Josh, to school. The two strike up a friendship with Jane. All three of them have their own problems. Madeline is resentful that her daughter from her previous marriage is growing close to her ex-husband's new wife, Bonnie. Celeste is physically abused by her rich banker husband, Perry. And Jane was raped and left to raise her son Ziggy on her own. To make matters worse for her, Ziggy is accused of bullying Amabella, his future classmate, during orientation. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the introduction to these characters. Sure. One thing I want to note too, as we as we get into this, is I mostly listened to the audiobook so far for this. It's very cool because it's it's an Australian story read by an Australian voice um, yeah. narrator or, or actor. Narrow. I don't know how they say no. <laughs> Narrow. Narrow. The W. Narrow. <laughs> I'm not making fun of it. It's just it just sounds funny to my American ear. I'm sure we say a bunch of shit that sounds really funny to you too. If you're Australian, <laughs> it's hard to not want to to try the accents. You know, I've always had an ear. Not that I'm good at it. I've just always been fascinated by that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it. interesting because most of the time, like you can't really tell, and then like something like that hits you, and you're like, that's very Australian. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I just thought it, it really immersed me in the story in a way because yeah. my my narration wouldn't have been Australian. Right. Uh, so I thought it gave it a fun little tilt to it and. Yeah, I, I just liked sort of thinking about this space. I just assume that a lot of Australia is beautiful, and I'm thinking about this coast, this like coastal town where I mean, they're I think at. It is, and, yeah, yeah. I can I can only imagine. And then and some. So I'd love getting to go the there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's bring all that that old bit back. <laughs> uh, the character. So Jane, I always like you said, Jane's kind of the main character in my opinion. Like the she's top kind of, of the like three. what you what you because you're new to the world as the reader, right? Right. So you kind of identify with her first, I think. My experience comes from seeing the show first. So I like imagine these characters as as the actors who played. Yeah, them. that's going to be a very interesting read than what I have, because like I, I don't even know for sure who plays who I was going to. I'm going to do a guess here at some point. Sure. Um, I think that they do a good job of making Jane extremely sympathetic early on. And, you know, you, you, I don't know, man, this this story gives me anxiety to be a parent someday. Like like the idea of like. What if my kid's not as good? What if I can't make them good? What if I, you know, right? It's terrifying to think that you're gonna. They're raise... a separate person, and they're at that age where, like, I mean, I'm not a parent, so full grain of salt. But it seems like they're at an age where, like, I was once a child. I can say that at least. Sure. Um, they're at an age where they're starting to become like a separate person. Now, obviously, they're still like a five year old child, but I mean, like, I guess it's like they're they're no longer just like a. a a thing you're carrying around. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a person. And they're starting to get to that point and they're like going to school and maybe misbehaving in a way that you don't predict to happen. And and it creates this really interesting element with like, what's going on with Ziggy? Is he the one who's actually bullying um, or not? 
And is a child a reflection of how you raise them? Or is it like a nature nurture situation? Like, can you raise a child perfectly and make them good? Or mm. is it a scenario where there's something baked into them that might that I think that's kind of what the story is asking as well with Ziggy is like, do we think he did anything or not? Right. Um, do we believe him when he says that he didn't? you know, uh, choke this, this other girl. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, again, terrifying stuff because you, you think you would want to imbue a lot of yourself into a child, but you can't control that kind of thing. I don't know about you, man, but I, I get angry too. Yeah. Because like when, when he's being accused and he's like, I didn't do it. And, and you're like, well, don't be accusing my kid of something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just one person's word versus another one kid's word versus another. So why does your, why does your kid's word override mine? <laughs> I would be pissed off too, man. Um, at, at what's her name? I can't remember the name of the mom, but she's like, she's, she goes hard on Ziggy. Yeah. So on the character list, her name is Renata. Sorry okay. for not remembering that. Yeah, no problem. I, it, there's a lot of names. Uh, all right. So Renata, and, and in my defense, I, have, I haven't seen anybody portray them yet, too. So it's kind of harder to remember all the time. But Renata is the one who is like going in hard on Ziggy. And uh, I was getting angry on <laughs> Jane and Ziggy's behalf. Yeah. Um, and this I, is what I was talking about, where like you see like a certain I mean, of course, there's like the wealth and, and the like some some people are looking down on others for not working and for working. And they're thinking like, are you a bad mom if you're working? Are you a good mom if you're not? And uh, or are you just like enjoying being at home and all these things that that society. Yeah. One of the snarky comments at the end of a chapter definitely yeah. underline that a lot of these things that society tries to put on women um because of the the typical role stereotypical gender roles are that like a woman stays home and then there's like a lot that obviously we feel that a woman could do a <laughs> woman can do whatever she wants uh this this story is kind of tackling some of that and some of the especially some of the tension that comes with it so we see renata who's a who works looking at Madeline differently in different ways and then looking at Jane in different ways and just the way that like she, the, especially this school, like ha, is is a lot of people who are well off who have time to think about all these things that, that are going on with their kids and they have time to yeah. put aside to do everything with totally. them. So they're very much wrapped up in that and that brings a lot of tension and, and like reputation is a big thing here too. Like, you know, um, Renata, I think like wants to make this a scene one so that it doesn't happen again and then two she just feels that it's not acceptable for this kind of school and well and that that's the thing i mean it pisses me off so much she's like yeah i'm gonna label this little five-year-old a bully and then like f like from now on treat him differently and treat him like he's a villain sure so maddening and, and other side of the coin is what if you were a mother who had your daughter choked what yeah. if that actually did happen? Yeah, true. I mean, and you can kind of get it. And like, it w I mean, I would hope that I would handle it better than her. But <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. But um, so what I do like is that I think Leanne Moriarty is doing this all on purpose, right? Like she's she's showing how there's a lot of real anger and she's evoking it in the reader a little bit, I think, so that we can see how this is actually kind of a powder keg that's going to explode. And then we see, I think like the first chapter, we see some of this spilling out. There's like a brawl taking place. And so it's kind of like a, a flash forward, flash back kind of deal. So one of the cool parts is that like a lot of the chapter breaks, uh, we'll say like, you know, two weeks till the trivia night or something like that. So it's all building to this trivia night that in the first chapter we heard kind of excerpts from. Yeah. So apparently there's some sort of big fight. Somebody gets killed by somebody and I don't know who. Um, I also, yeah, it, uh, one of the things I also really liked about this first half is the slow way that we get introduced to the husbands, each of them, like, you know, you got like Perry, who's a like, kind of a piece of shit, um, this rich guy who's also abusive, but I, like, it's a really interesting look at an abusive relationship and how even Celeste says like, nobody else knows it, but me. And she, she's like, so aware of the fact that she sounds like an abused woman, but then she's like. I don't know. It's weird. It's like she's self-aware and isn't at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. Like she she knows that she's saying stuff that sounds like an abused woman. But then she's also like, but they don't understand. They don't understand how my situation's different. You know, this therapist doesn't understand. Yeah, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome when you're there and like when you're in it, you're thinking about all this like time invested with this person and how you may maybe still do love them and wish they didn't do this. But then the kids complicate things and you, you want to stay together for them. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it really shines a light on like why people stay, which is like the thing that I think a lot of people on the outside who've never been in that situation. It's easy to say, like, why doesn't she just leave? And it's like, leave? it's never that easy. Yeah. yeah. And she really like lays out all the reasons why it's like 
you're that's not what the relationship is 99% of the time it's that 1% of the time where it gets like that and then like all the other times she sees like all the like kindness in him and like the way he is with the kids and all that stuff and none of that excuses what happens of course but you could see how in a person's mind like well it, we and we as the readers want her to get out of there and like want her to come to the realization and and you know we're proud And then of like her she, she fights back and she starts to like take on guilt about fighting back and like saying like well because I fought back then I'm like equally as violent and complicit and like no that's not true and like yeah, she has to make this plan to leave, too, which is another thing. I think it's like you can't just walk out the door. I mean, you could, I guess. But like a lot of times it's like it's better to have some sort of plan in place. so You know where you're going to go and what you're going to do and how you're going to be able to afford anything. And evidence is a whole other thing that she eventually goes to see uh, someone for this. And yeah, and, and she goes to see this therapist. Yeah, they recommend Counselor. getting evidence, compiling evidence. And she feels like that's like she, she can't see herself doing it. And it's so interesting because like all of this is going on and none of her friends know about it. It's the secret, right? And so we're getting these secrets in these people's lives that is like, that's just really interesting to read about. And then, yeah, then you get Jane who um, she's got this really dark backstory that we get into. Um, in fact, let me read the second paragraph of summer here. I only have two paragraphs and the second one gets into a lot of the stuff that we're already starting to touch on. So as months pass, the three become close, and Jane shares her experience with the other women. Jane tells the two other women that Ziggy is the result of a rape by a man named Saxon Banks when Jane was 19. Meanwhile, Celeste's marriage becomes even more violent, and she starts meeting with a counselor and rents an apartment for herself and her sons without Perry's knowledge. Ziggy is once again accused of bullying Amabella and again denies it. Okay, and that leads us to about where we are when we stopped reading. I want to talk a little bit about... Um, well, of course, we got to talk about Jane and what happened to her. Um, but let me talk a little bit first about Madeline, um, because it, because their relationship becomes very important. Madeline, at first, when she was first introduced, I didn't think I was going to like her. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't like this these kind of people, you know. Like she gets out of her car to go like yell at some teenager for being on her phone, and I was like, oh man, you know, she's you know, the like stereotypical Karen kind of moment, and you're like. She's so over the top. But you can kind of get it, too, because, like, texting on your phone and, like, she well, has sure. young children and it's, I mean, like, like, this whole... You always get, like, I don't know. To me, it's, like, I always get it. It's just, like, over the top, right? And it's, like, and it's getting in other people's business and it's, like, come on. She's, like, being very motherly about it. Like, she wants these kids to get off their phones because she's a mother. Yeah. Anyway, she then turns her ankle and that, that leads to the whole friendship developing because Jane comes to help her. Um, and then, I'll like, she grew on me like throughout the course of this first half of the book she had grown me to where she became maybe my favorite character um she's a great she's very funny and um i just like i like how real she is and um i mean she's a mother of four which like my mother was a mother of four so maybe there's a little bit of element with that going on and just the chaos at her house whenever she's like having a conversation i love the way it's written because like she's talking with somebody and they're having a heart to heart or some sort of serious conversation and there's just people screaming in the background there's some there's somebody screaming about something's missing or like i can't find something and like there's just always noise and like something crazy going on um, her relationship with her husband is really interesting. Like, I, I actually really like their relationship, the way they like lay down a bed at, at night and talk to each other. Um, I thought that was really kind of intimate and, and cool. And he seems to have some like real anger about um, or like real protectiveness over his kids and other kids. And he seems quite upset, actually, when he learns about Jane. Um, and I also kind of love the way she just like tells him about the stuff that Jane told her, because like when you're a married couple this far along, like I feel like there aren't any secrets anymore or there are very few. So you just and you're going to keep each other's secrets. And yeah, yeah. Like, if you've heard a secret from somebody else, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to tell my husband because he'll keep it. Like, yeah, exactly. You t- you trust them to not tell it, which, you know, maybe isn't always true. But in, in a healthy relationship, I think like mutual parties know. That. And they seem to have the healthiest relationship, I think, of all the couples in my opinion so far that we see now maybe something will come up that will t- prove that wrong but like her new her new husband i think is her healthiest relationship uh, and you an element to madeline that you haven't mentioned yet i'm sure you're going to get to it though is that like she again has had a previous marriage and then also has a, another kid uh, has a daughter that she's struggling with holding on to because she has this new family and she wants to concentrate on her her children and of course she loves her both children or all of her children just as much but this child is leaning towards the like sort of zen doing yoga no tv like 
environment that Bonnie and, and Nathan, her ex-husband, provide. And she thinks a lot about how he's Nathan's a completely different person. She's like, where was this guy when I needed him? Yeah. He was gone for 10 years, didn't provide any child support. Well, and also it was just a totally different person. Like yeah. he acts like Bonnie now, whereas before he was. Yeah, sounded he's like, like he was, re, he's like reborn. And now that he's with yes. her. Yeah. So she just feels it's not fair that she's had a kid with this person and he wasn't you know, stable at the time and all that kind of thing. So good. Like this is the kind of stuff where I'm reading it. I'm like, this is, this is not something you would get from a male author or be, I, I think would be very unlikely to get. Um, I, you know, this feels like a genuine, interesting concern that a mother would have. Um, and I love just the, the way she's like, you know, we're trying to be a good person. Like she's doing these little things. And then, and then Bonnie's like, just goes so hard like they're, they're spending christmas at a at a homeless shelter and they're like you know they're doing all this stuff that is just so far that she's like how can i compete with this um yeah especially while raising a child in the environment that yeah she is in trying yeah. to raise four kids you know and like it, it's it's like um it's maddening and i can see i can see how this would be maddening this burgeoning relationship happens between the two of them where where she's like kind of mentoring jane um yeah madeline and i think she you know she feels sorry for her being a single mom and all that um and it's also just kind of how she is that gets her to open up about this rape that happened to her definitely the most harrowing part i mean reading about the abuse of uh, with uh, celeste is definitely harrowing too but this is the most harrowing part incredibly dark um brutal gross to read um and i do like the way it's handled it is always controversial to write about rape in a book um, and it always will be. And I think that there's a place for it. And I think that authors, I don't, I don't think that there's a, we're in a situation where authors shouldn't write about this kind of stuff. I think they should, but they need to be very careful and they need to make sure they're doing it in a way that not only serves the narrative, but is conscientious about the people reading it. Um, and the reason I like the way it's done here is that now I don't, I haven't seen how the rest of the book plays out. But so far, the way I like it is I like that we it's really focused on Jane and how we see her, how this has been haunting her, has like really affected her personality. We see the effects of it, right? Like more than anything and how it's changed her as a person fundamentally. She like doesn't wear makeup and she like has has internalized all of these body I- issues from it. She's traumatized. It's who, totally I mean, traumatized. and it's almost said that she's traumatized more so from the things he was saying than what happened too, which is she was like disassociating almost um, throughout the scene. Yeah, she was insulting her and all this stuff. Yeah. It's horrific stuff. Yeah. yeah. Her PTSD is totally on display. And then I loved the moment where she says like, where she like, she's realizing that she's feeling a little bit better and it kind of, she's like, I don't even know why. And then she thinks like, it's almost like talking about it. Let's like took away some of its power. And like, I really love that moment where she realizes like, just just telling one person about it has been kind of a weight off her shoulders. And she finally can start to like start to let it go a little bit and start to move on a little bit. And I, I just thought that was like a good message. And like, I like that way that that works now. Of course, we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, very bold to write a story with a mother who is kind of like she clearly loves her son entirely. And is just grappling with the fact the father raped her. Yeah. That introduces that biology versus, you know, nature versus nurture. Like she's worried about what might lurk within. And the fact that it's a choking specifically um, accusation is you could tell why that's really triggering to her. Now, we don't know for sure. I'm you know, I don't think Ziggy actually choked the child. I think there's too many unknowns here. I think I feel like maybe another child did it. And for whatever reason, um, the girl didn't want to say. You know, maybe it was another girl and she was embarrassed about that. Or maybe it was someone who is popular or something for some reason and she can't say it. But for whatever reason, I think she felt like she couldn't say it. I don't think it was an adult. Could be. Um, there's a lot of mysteries still there. But yeah, I just wanted to touch in on like with writing a character that's dealing with that like idea of still she loves this child. Like there's nothing that's going to take that away. Um, and then seeing that through all of the stuff that she's been through, the way that she feels about the child, I think is like. It's really uplifting in in a way because it's it's such a you can see another version of the character kind of not being able to separate the, her child from what happened to her. Well, and, and I think that the narrative shows us that because we see right. her struggling with it. We see her looking at her boy and saying, like, 
what was that moment he gave me? What was that look he gave me where he seemed like really like dark or like serious or like something like she's like looking for little things that are like hints at, you know, his father. And like, you could totally see why that would be the case. And, and, and I like that, that like, that does show how like difficult a decision this actually would be and is for people and how you can't guarantee that you would be able to love a child that came from, from a situation like this. Like it's hard for us to even talk about it because you know, we're two dudes. So we're just like a very specific side of this equation. And this is also a huge reason why we believe in a woman's right to choose. Right. right? Like there's, you know, this happens and if completely up to whatever the woman feels she can, she wants to go forward with. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think that this book is striking a, a, a tone where it can talk about a woman who chose to raise her child and love her child and celebrate that, but not at the same time make it seem like it was the only right decision to make. Right. Um, so, and that's a, t- that's a tightrope, right? So, you know, I didn't even like realize it until we're talking about it, like how much I'm like, wow, it's actually kind of amazing that she was able to, to nail that so well. Yeah. I do. We, we kind of went pretty quick by Madeline. I just wanted to give my thoughts on her, too. I, I, I love this character because everyone wants to be a friend like this. I think you should strive to be a friend like Madeline because, like, you see how she's so understanding. And then she's also, like, there for this person who's, who's you know, clearly your single mother. Like, the, you know, it takes a village, that whole thing that everybody talks about. Like, having support and, like, just ha- I, I think about, like... And she's got the experience. Like, she knows what to do. Yeah. And I just think about like people who help my parents and like seeing my parents help younger parents and the way that that plays out. And that's a good point. I just love seeing that out of Madeline. And, and like, you know, like if there's anybody that's a good character here, it's like Madeline's in the right. Shout yeah. out. Shout out to um, Barb and Mary Jo, who were my mom's two closest friends growing up and who helped raise us for sure. And, you know, not like super hands on, but there were times, you know, where where they would help each other. And they were mothers all at the same time. And there was a lot of this kind of situation going on and, and you know, these kind of relationships. Totally. Yeah. Things happen and, and it's just good to have people to lean on. And I think that that's like really cool to see. Well, I think some of these other characters are friendly with Jane to see like that's that true friendship that you can count on. Yeah. It's awesome to see. Yeah. So I guess let's circle around to some of the mysteries, maybe. I mean, have we talked about we've talked about Celeste, I feel like sufficiently. Um, she's. She's kind of right now, like, feels the most disconnected from the other two. And I think that's because she has not revealed what's going on with her yet to them. And I'm hopeful at some point, and I assume we will at some point get that, where we'll see them and then she'll be able to lean on her friends a little bit in a way that she hasn't so far. Yeah, I just want to say proud of her for going to seek, because, you know, originally she's looking up, like, uh, you know, marriage counseling and then yeah. backspaces, all of that, and addresses what it really is and types in, in the search engine, like uh, domestic violence or domestic abuse or something like that. So for her to get to that stage and, and start to take some of the power dynamic back. And yeah, I, I'm just happy to see that when she's in those meetings, the person she's like in her mind, like, why am I going to this really young person? And oh, that's probably something she learned in school. And yeah. she's kind of like downplaying this this professional. But she's realizing she's getting like really good information. And that, like, you know, again, she tells her to, to take evidence of bruising and any kind of violence and things that he does. Um, so it's just, it's, it's wild to see her simultaneously getting good information and also being still so resistant to it because of her situation. And then she brings up has, you know, have you ever feared for your life? And she's like, no, no, no. And then she's like, oh, actually this one time. And you're like, fuck man, this is. Yeah. Yeah. No, except for that one time where he like almost really dark. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I want to say about her character that I really like the way it's unfolded is she's, she's also not that likable early on. She's this rich, beautiful woman who seems kind of aloof disconnected and then the first time we get her point of view even she seems to have this perfect life and she has these perfect kids and this perfect house and you know a husband who seems great and then i think like towards the end of that first chapter where she says um and and you know this will be great until the kids uh you know graduate and then i'm gonna leave him and she just kind of leaves us with that and we're like wait why like you know because you have no idea she hasn't revealed at this point what's going on and so you're left to wonder like is she just like bored of this life and she's like looking for something else and so you start filling in all these possible reasons that she could be there and you know i you know i I had the benefit of the doubt for her of like maybe something really is going on we don't know about um and that ended up being the case but like your mind doesn't know you're like she could be maybe she's just a shallow person who's ready to move on and like you just don't know um and i love that that 
again, she grows on me over time because we start to see what's actually going on with her and we start to see her actual strength, even if at first she doesn't seem to be a very, a very strong character. There's really like, there's two other characters that I think we should highlight as borderline main characters as okay. well. And that's Renata, who we've talked about a little bit, but I want to get dig more into Renata and then Bonnie. Uh, let's start with Bonnie. Do you think that Bonnie's to blame as much as Madeline feels that she is? Do you think that she's doing these things out of the goodness of her heart or is she actually trying to, is she, is she doing it for status and that sort of thing? There are people like this you will meet. <laughs> there are people like this in Portland for sure. Um, and they're almost like too good. And like, it's not their fault, I don't think, to me, especially if it's genuine. And, and to me, as far as I know, it is genuine for, is from what I've seen. Um, but what they're not good about, and the thing that I do think you can kind of judge them for, is they're not good about realizing that not everyone can be like them and not everyone has the means to be able to do the things they do. Um, and they can be kind of holier than thou and kind of snobby about it. And that's where it can get can can get into kind of shitty territory. They're still not villains to me, but you can see why Madeline doesn't have the greatest feelings about her and is a little bit frustrated with her. And we're pretty close with Madeline too. So you don't feel like she's actively trying to take her daughter away. And then there was the whole race where they were racing and it yeah. was like Bonnie versus Madeline. And oh, ultimately yeah. <laughs> there was the controversy who, who, who won. actually won. Mm. When I think it's pretty much stated in the text that Madeline won and, and uh, but, but everybody, other people were saying Bonnie and then Madeline gives the ribbon, I think is like a metaphor of like, you won, you took my daughter from me. Yeah. You can have this too kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know enough about Bonnie. I think like uh, if we got some more of her like point of view or something, maybe I'd have a more of an opinion. And I assume in the show, we'll probably see a little bit more of her to where I might form a more of an opinion. Um, but right now I think the verdict's still out on her. The uh, the other one, uh, Renata, Renata. Um, yeah. that's the mother of the kid who, who's like getting attacked and stuff. Right. So far, I'm just mad at her. I do. I do recognize that she is reacting to a very shitty situation. But the way she like storms into the principal's office and is like, oh, good, you're here. We're going to fucking do this right now. And she just starts like going in on Jane. That's the kind of stuff that I'm just like, all right, let's let's all settle down. Like you're you're going way too hard and you're. You're leaping to conclusions when you don't know for sure. That's the thing. Like, you just don't know. And you're you're assuming things that is just, like, it's so maddening to me. Um, and that's the shit that's getting me mad on, on Jane's behalf. And then, again, we're just, like, building that powder keg. And I feel like th- it's whatever happens later, I think it's all related to this stuff with Ziggy. That's my guess. Is It's all related to this bullying stuff with Ziggy. We got the quote about bullying at the start of the book. Seems like this is going to be the heart of it. Um, but I would love to do some theory crafting. Um, it's going to be difficult with you because you know the answers to a lot of this stuff. Well, I'm going to abstain. I have to. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. But maybe maybe you could just kind of like let me soundboard off of you a little bit. Um, I can tell you where I'm at with, with some thoughts. Um, also, I want to try and guess at who our three main leads are. Should I do that first? Yeah, let's let's okay. guess the casting. All right. So I think Nicole Kidman is absolutely Celeste. Okay. Do you want to tell me if I'm right or not? Do you, Yeah, I was going to say, do you want me to react yeah. or tell you? Uh, well, let, let, me, let me name all three first. Okay. So I think absolutely Nicole Kidman is Celeste. She's like perfect for that role. I think Reese Witherspoon is Jane, and then that makes Laura Dern uh, Madeline. That's my guess. And again, do you want me to say yes or no? Yeah, tell me if I'm right. Okay, you're not right. Really? <laughs> you're I'm not right. so sure. Okay, who, yeah. did, who did I mess up? Uh, you messed up Jane, and you messed up... Uh, Madeline? Did I, get those, did I get them swapped? Madeline. So it's swapped? It's not swapped. No, it's not swapped. There's a, there's a wild card in here that you're not accounting for. I'm so confused. Is there another actor who's not... That not one of these three who plays our one of the three leads. Yeah, I'll just say one of the three that you named is Renata. Oh, interesting. Okay, so like Laura Dern is probably Renata then. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So Reese Witherspoon is Jane. No. She. Okay. So then that makes her Madeline for sure. Yes. So there's another character who plays Jane who I don't know. I don't know who it is. <laughs> yeah. That's what's throwing me off. I thought those three were our three. Ma- okay. Yeah. Okay. They kind of are. Who who plays Jane? You, you got to tell me. Shailene Woodley. Okay. Who? What do I know her from? That name's familiar. Yeah. So Divergent is the big thing that she's known from. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. And it, it makes sense that they would cast someone younger because I was thinking that all of them are a little older to be Jane, um, but I thought maybe they just aged the character up a little bit. Whereas the other the other uh, mothers are all like have kids who have been through this and they're a little older. Anyway, um, so I got that pretty wrong. I guess the only one I nailed was Celeste, which I was very sure. 
was Nicole Kidman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got that one. Um, again, I'll just say again, killer cast. And then I'll, I'll tell you, Zoe Kravitz plays Bonnie, which I said at the beginning of the recording. But like her as Bonnie is great as well. And um, yeah, I'll be excited to see how you, how you feel about the... Oh, Fault in Our Stars is the other massive thing. Oh, I think yeah. Shailene Woodley, that was the first thing she was known from as Fault in okay. Our Stars. And Zoe Kravitz was in the new Batman? Yes, she was Catwoman. Okay, All right, I know who you're talking about. All right, so anyway, now for theory crafting. Let me just tell you where I'm at. I'm not going to like come down hard. Like, I'm not going to say like, this is what's going to happen. I'm just like, this is where I'm at. I think the history of violence in Perry makes him a pretty prime suspect for committing murder. I think this is, this is one of the characters we've been introduced to who's, who's capable of it. I think um, Celeste, there was a line at one point there was a little hint where somebody at the end of a chapter said, sad to think of it now, very sad. And it was somebody was referring to something about Celeste. And I thought, why is it sad to think of it now? So that makes me think Celeste might have been the victim. Um, now, I haven't been good about tracking everybody who's talked at the end of every chapter to like n- to know who's still around and who's not. Um, but I don't remember Celeste showing up at the end of any of these chapters and it makes me think that she could be the victim. And then, like, her husband is the is the perpetrator. That seems a little too clean and obvious to me, though. Like, that 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 seems like almost like where she's expecting us to go. So I'll grant you that. But um, I, I'm seeing a bit of that right now. I do think there's the mystery going on with Ziggy, which I already said. I don't think he's actually the one choking. So that seems like it's going to be connected. And then the dark horse in this, the, the, the sort of wild card, is Madeline's husband. What's his name? Is his name like John or something? This is one of the dark alleyways that was going to lure you down if, if you <laughs> didn't mention this. Like, this is one of those things where it's like stated in the background, kind of yeah. like, oh, was he? I think his name is um, Ed. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I think you might be right. Um, yeah. So he's got this like anger about abusers. It seems like that, that he's got and he's got like a righteous anger to him to where I could almost see him losing control. He also said he would kill somebody. Yeah, there's been a few times where somebody said something about killing people. Even Madeline said like, oh, I, you know, I, I, she was picturing herself like smashing Zoe's face in or something and like Bonnie's face. I sh- should say when I say Zoe. Oh, the actor. <laughs> Bonnie. Um, so th- th- it's definitely open to a lot of people. Um, I guess that's going to be my 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 guess is that Ed is going to is going to take out something on an abuser. But I don't know that he's going to actually kill the person because I, I kind of think Celeste might be the one who dies. I don't know, man. I'm still up in the air. Um, maybe, maybe she just got hurt, and then that would still be sad to see now if she like if she ended up getting hurt, but she didn't die. And I, my hope is that whoever is responsible for abuse is maybe the one who's targeted. But then it's like, if it's related to Ziggy, how does that? Unless it is an adult abusing them, which is possible. Maybe there's an adult, um, and that case things can get real uh, real fiery real quick. That's what's crazy about this kind of stuff, right? Is that if you're familiar with mysteries, you know that there's red herrings. So you know that there's going to be paths that you're walking down that are misdirects. But also at the same time, anybody could be possible. Really, anybody is a suspect. Well, in a good mystery, and you know, I think I feel like this is, mystery fans will be mad if you didn't play fair. They want you to play fair. So what they want is they want the evidence to be there. They just want it to be amongst a bunch of other evidence to where it's hard to actually discern it. And that way they can kind of play the game like we just did. Like I think mystery readers want to kind of play along and they want to try and guess. And if all of a sudden at the end you're like, and it was some other character that we haven't introduced so far and you knew nothing about. Haha. That's not re- that's not like a rewarding reading experience, so I I doubt that that's going to be the case. Now, you can introduce that character like at the midpoint or later on. I think that can be done, but um yeah, you, you got to be careful as a mystery author, I think, um, with, you know, that. But on the other hand, mystery readers also want to be surprised. And so you can't be obvious with it. You can't be too obvious. You can't Scooby-Doo it. You can't be like, oh, that one character that we introduced this time might be the bad guy. Mas- unmask him. Yeah. Or, or just obvious. Like, that's why I was saying, like, I don't think it's going to be Perry. So I think that's a little too obvious. That's my guess. But who knows? Um, so that's where I'm at with it, man. I'm having fun. So we're actually not going to, I'm not going to get answers to, to everything at least because we're going to watch the show next week. 
um, that we're going to start the show. So there will still be a lot of outstanding mysteries, at least for another week. Right. And so there's seven episodes in the season. So we're going to watch four episodes from the first season. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot to mention this. So there's a second season. And I read that the second season is actually based off of a novella that Leanne Moriarty wrote. So when that season came out, too, I was convinced that they were going off the material. And um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to talk about that. And maybe we cover that in some point as a bonus. Because I think it's, I think it isn't completely off. At least it's another novella that she wrote. Right. Because I think this was a li- originally marketed as a limited series, right? That wasn't going to have a season two. Right. I didn't think there would be another season. <laughs> okay. So um, that's what we're going to do next week. Hopefully you join us for that. If you enjoyed this episode and this coverage, let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. Uh, Apple Podcasts especially, we're, we're surging towards uh, 100 reviews. Uh, we'd love to get there. And make sure that you connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. If you're on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and like the videos. And if you wanted to connect with us on Patreon and support us on there, you get access to monthly uh, episodes that we put out that are like adaptation adjacent, other adaptations, stuff like that. Um, special episodes that we try, little one-offs, experimentation, that kind of stuff is all on there. And then it also gives you the ability to vote on those polls, like the one that got us to cover Big Little Lies. All right, man. All that's left to do is to watch this show. It's been a little while since we covered TV. Definitely, I think, the first of the season for us. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch some TV. This should be fun. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. Until next time. Keep adapting. Bye.